This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, folks. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm an organizational development and belonging strategist, and I'm joined by the lovely Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DE&I and people analytics. Hey, Rob. Hey, you ready for me? I'm ready. ready (laughs) I feel like it's been a while. I'm so excited to, we're not officially back back because we're technically still on our summer hiatus, but we are coming back strong in September. Yeah, yeah. No, I had to find my microphone. It's been a few weeks since we did the regular <laughs> recording schedule. I was like, what did- What am I doing? What? Where's my microphone? Oh, it's right there. It's fine. What's happening? I know I had to dust mine off. Um, <laughs> How are you, Nadia? You know, I'm doing really well. I think I just shared with you, I ran into my old high school volleyball coach at Dunkin' Donuts, and it was really nice to see him. And then I mentioned yeah. how old I was, and he was like, what? <laughs> He was like, how? It's it just like yesterday. I felt like I was in high school. So it was really, it was really cool to see him. I'm so intrigued by this. Are you, are, are you playing any volleyball these days? <laughs> no, no volleyball, right? Not at all. Not at all. Although I really should, because I think it would help me like move my body more. But what was really fascinating, we actually got into it. So he's a, he was a principal at, so he was my volleyball coach, but he was a principal at the high school. Not while I was there, uh-huh. but um, he's, he was a math teacher and then he transferred to the high school after I um, graduated and he was a principal for 20 years at the high school that I went to. And when I told him about the work that I did, he like, he like literally clutched his chest and he was like, I'm so proud of you. And then he started telling me about the leadership development and diversity, equity, inclusion work that like he had to do himself and like how change is so hard even for educators. And it was a nice conversation to have with well, him. Well, that's great. It was good to yeah. see him. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll be in a good mood to, for this uh, for this episode. I think so. I think so. All right. So Nadia, tell us what we're going to do today. We're, a little, we're switching things up. There's no guest today. So tell us what yes. we're doing. Yes. So there's, there's no guest today, but um, on our show, folks, we're going to be responding to some listener questions that we received about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so these are things that Rob and I have kind of talked about, um, in general, but never really maybe went into extensive detail on the podcast about, and then when we, um, we got some questions and we were like, you know what, we should do an episode about some of these D E and I Q and a questions and answers. I think it's a great way for us to answer some questions, get our thoughts out there, and then also, you know, get folks ready and excited for our new season coming up in September. Awesome. Um, so shall we get started? Did you want to go ahead with the first question? Yeah, let's go ahead and get started. There was a question just asking us to share our thoughts on the role of a DEI leader. And a listener had sent along a an article from Sherm. And again, that's not our friend Sherm. That's the Society for Human <laughs> Resource Management. I think I made that joke before. I can't you remember. did. It's so I great. think I do every, every single time. Yeah. All right. Uh, so according to the article, there was a LinkedIn study of C-suite hiring between 2019 and 2022, 
And while there were significant increases in DEI leader hirings in 2020 and 2021, no, uh, no surprise there. Yeah. The number of roles declined in 2022, while other C-suite roles grew. The SHRM article also cited Glassdoor survey, which cited access to DEI programs went from 27% in 2017 to 43% in 2021, and then has come down to 41% in 2022. Mm. Nadia. Mm-hmm. So look into your crystal ball yep. and, uh, you know, really tell us where this is going. What's uh, what's the role? What's the future of the role for the DEI leader? First of all, I really want to buy a crystal ball now because <laughs> that would be great. But I think, yeah, I, I think that article was really interesting. And then I think when we talk to people, we are absolutely hearing a little bit of hesitation, fear, right? Like there were a bunch of layoffs across the board in many different sectors in some of those included DE&I roles. Um, but I think it's like roles are at, roles and programming, I think are kind of these things that are at the intersection of not existing or being um, canceled. And mm-hmm. I'm seeing some organizations not prioritize it anymore, maybe not even know how they prioritize it. So like mm-hmm. if we think about the past few years, ERGs were formed, DEI councils were formed, and then some companies formed DEI teams and you know hired um, DEI program managers, DEI consultants, whatever it might be. It was a thing. What I worry about is one tokenism. I worry about burnout, and frankly, I worry about there not being enough support for folks to keep the momentum going because these folks that were hired um, have that expertise and they have that skill set and motivation to really change environments. And if you're getting rid of them, um, that Mm -hmm. is something I fear. I also feel that what would be great is if we're seeing maybe these roles not existing or not needing these roles because it's been embedded into the culture. Like I always say as a consultant, my whole goal is that I'm no longer needed. I mean, as much as I want to be hired and be paid, the purpose of my role is like I no longer want to be someone who's of use to you because you've embedded into the culture. But we mm-hmm. know that's not happening because there's still higher amount uh, levels of discrimination still happening. Practices and wages are still not equitable, and there's still a lack of representation at the leadership levels. What are your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I'm right there with you, Nadia. I love that. I, I, I touched on some of the same things, or I thought about some of the same things, right? So you're going to continue to see consolidation, right? So I, first of all, I think that the studies, I'm not sure how valid the yeah, things sure. in the share are. They, yeah. I don't think you get your PhD based on that 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 level of research, but yeah. um, I don't know why I have to be mean to the people at Glassdoor, uh, <laughs> but I just had to. Yeah. That, um, but I was in a conversation, so anecdotally, I think it's all correct. Sure. And I was in a conversation this week with a DEI recruiter, uh, so we recruits for these roles, and they were talking about seeing consolidation under emerging titles. So uh, how can you combine ESG and DEI together or right, so some, and you know whatever else? And so like a chief doing good officer or a chief purpose officer or whatever. And so we start, we've seen organizations shrink. We've seen them trying to figure out how to put other functions in with DEI as well. And then just like you said, you'll see the consolidation. But I don't think it's wild, just like you pointed out, if it's done thoughtfully for the right reasons, right? So DEI should be more than just internal facing, should be more than just thinking about your workforce. It's, uh, you know, like it's, there's not enough companies that look at DEI in the context of their customers, their communities, their partners. And so, you know, you'll start to, you know, if you think about the ideas that the target objectives have DEI integrated into everything, 
And hopefully you start to see some of that happen. And so like the traditional model of having the DEI leader reporting to the HR leader doesn't make much sense if that person's trying to influence influence on the commercial side of the business or mm -hmm. uh, what's happening in terms of supply chain, things like that. So, I, and okay. like you said, you'll start to see leaders and other functions have DEI experience and skills, hopefully. I don't think that that's happening at the, at the rate that we're, that we're hoping for. So I'm 100% with you. I totally think that the idea is to be integrated. We're not yet there yet. So that's why it, it feels a little bit premature to start to, to combine these things together. Yeah, sure. Um, all right, let me move on to the next here. So um, we got a great question here about the influence and impacts of AI in DE&I. That's a lot of acronyms. So artificial intelligence and diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? There's been a lot of things that have been written on this topic, uh, particularly recently, um, and the impacts that, you know, generated AI will have on DE&I in regards to practices, policies, and behaviors. So Rob, I'll um, I'll, I'd love for you to offer kind of your thoughts on this. Yeah. And the listener forwarded a, an article along from Fast Company. It was by Amira Barger. So I think we've, uh, love Amira Barger. I, she's, uh, we've mm -hmm. talked about a couple of things that she's written on this show. So she argues, and you know, back to our point earlier, DEI is not just HR. And so, you know, it's not just internal facing and therefore I 100% agree. I do think, so she points out all the things that she thinks that it's not going to be able to do enough because, it, you know, it should be focusing on more than just HR. But I do think that AI can and will continue to help some of the things that I want to do. Right? Oh, <laughs> like of, tell me what, and, yeah. Well, like, so instantaneous pay equity, real time understanding differences in sentiment across demographics. So I think that there's, there's a lot of room for the use of the tools in narrow use cases. So skillfully applied. I think it can be helpful. And I, so that I get excited about the use of AI in, yeah. in helping solve some of the problems and answer some of the questions. So customer demographics, fairness in treating customers from employees, the way that your customers treat your employees and, and being able to understand that relationship and make sure that your employees are getting treated well based on who they are, diversification in terms of suppliers in real time. Those are things that would not be possible without some of the technologies that we're seeing emerging. So. That could be pretty cool. Now, I'm mm. just like the writer, I get skeptical if, like, yeah. if that will be skillfully, thoughtfully, and narrowly applied to real problems. Um, so there will be cases of the enhancement of bias or lack of context. Um, so put me down for, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Put me down for exciting in, in certain use cases, but I also am mm -hmm. a little bit, it's probably a disaster. That's the, I'll just, yeah. <laughs> it'll probably be a disaster. <laughs> Well, right. If there's no kind of regulation around it, right? So, like, I think if someone has a superficial understanding of DE&I and incorrectly kind of regulates it into the functions that you're talking about, like recruitment or retention or whatever type of practice, um, those could really limit the impact of DEI and effort, DEI efforts. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, there was a New York Times article recently of an eight-month pregnant woman who was arrested after false facial recognition match. So people are being wrongfully accused as a result of facial recognition technology. So instead mm -hmm. of holding people accountable, I think it's going to be really easier to hold technology accountable. And that's not okay. So for me, it's like there's so much bias that's built into this. I have a classmate whose research is focused on algorithmic bias in AI. 
And mm-hmm. it's kind of scary, to be honest with you. AI is not going to eliminate bias, right? If anything, I think it's going to metastasize it. So I'm excited that this could be something really cool, really fun, really helpful. But I think it has to be. I don't know if regulated is the right word. I think it has to be monitored in some manner. I'm not talking government super intervention. I'm just saying it has to be. There ha- We have to be careful. That's all. For sure. For sure. No, we're on the same page. I think that this season we're going to have some uh, AI ethics uh, leaders on as well to talk about some of these issues as well. So I'm excited about that. Next up, Nadia. We heard, so Hollywood. Talk about Hollywood a little bit. Love talking about Hollywood. I I love Hollywood. All right. So we had a question over the summer about our friends, DEI leaders in Hollywood leaving and our perspective. And so to summarize, for those that haven't been following, Several black women executives from companies like Disney, Netflix, Warner Brothers, uh, among others, either resigned or removed from their roles this summer. According to Industry Insiders via Variety, I, I have my subscription to Variety magazine. Do uh, you? The exits were always. Uh, I get the, yeah, I get the one in the mail. I still get it in the mail. Yeah. Uh, the, the exits were driven by frustration, lack of resources, and exhaustion. And I will turn it over to you as a person who was just featured in Forbes commenting on DEI leader exhaustion. Nadia, tell me, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on uh, Hollywood DEI leaders? Yeah, thanks for that, Rob. Uh, definitely, I would encourage our listeners to go check out the article that Aparna Ray wrote in Forbes that me and some other colleagues were able to contribute into around DEI fatigue. It is real. Um, you know, people don't leave companies, right? What's that saying? Like they leave managers and leaders. I, I think what we're seeing here is um, a lot of burnout, a lot of, like you said, frustration. It's the intersections of like the behaviors and decisions and people. And it's almost like a bad relationship. Like you get out while you can, <laughs> like you got to get out. And if these folks that are hired to assess cultural change, to, you know, assess current state, create strategy, and finally, um, you know, implement that strategy. If they're not given the autonomy to do their job, they're not given the respect, they're not treated with dignity. Um, You know, I think that also includes them being able to display the ugly and messiness that is involved in what they kind of find at the organization. That's part of their job. And I think that includes them not being given resources like talent or budget to really succeed. Then why Mm -hmm. would they stay, right? Like we we have to question, like, why would they stay? That's not a very, um, they're not valued. They're not respected for their expertise or their time. Um, And at the end of the day, that it's all performative from the organization um, and from these leaders. So I would absolutely, I mean, I have so much more to say about this. I'd love to hear your thoughts, but I definitely encourage people to go to check out that Forbes article. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to add too much more. I agree with everything that you said there. But I, I tell you, when, when I saw the articles and I kept seeing the articles, I, what I really thought was, or I really felt was uh, I was happy for the women mm-hmm. <laughs> because I thought they were super talented leaders. And I think that they're going to have phenomenal opportunities. So I felt happy for them and leaving a situation that they, you know, where they felt frustration and exhaustion. And then I felt consequently bad for the, the the employees of those organizations who are losing this, you know, these really uh, excellent leaders and the signal that it sends to them about what's happening in terms of leadership. So yeah. um, 
you know, a uh, unique industry, a lot going on in Hollywood right now, way more problematic. I think when I when I first started the show, I didn't think we would talk about Hollywood so much. <laughs> like, I didn't. I think we talked about sports. Kind of a, it's kind of a mess. You know? It is. Uh, I mean, you, you have. Know, yeah, the strike. Yeah. the strike. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about the strike and and the fact that uh, there's there's just so much going on on a weekly basis there in terms of equity. So, um, but yeah, no, but really appreciate your perspective, and we'll come back to that Forbes article a little bit later. But for now, we're going to take a quick break. Nadia, stay with us, and we will be right back with more listener questions on Inclusive Collective. Hey, folks, welcome back. Our episode is featured around listener questions that we received. So, Rob, the the next question that we received from a listener was around what's the best place to start DEI efforts? So, if you wow. were, yeah, right? Little little <laughs> free coaching, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Char- yeah. Give a highlight it's- of like where would you recommend to start? Okay. So, this is inc- incredibly contextual. Okay. So the, obviously this we go a lot of different directions. So let's assume that this question that comes from the perspective of a business leader, CEO, wants to engage in DEI to create a better company in a very earnest fashion. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a very tactical and incredibly self-serving answer here. Okay. So first I would look for outside help. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would do. Yep. Call um, Nadia and Rob. You can, if, there's there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of great folks and a lot of great uh, thinkers and strategists out there. So, um, if you can find the funds, and you know, I think it really helps and save time and, and money in the long run. A lot of time and 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 heartache in terms of trying to get this right. So, all change efforts, as you know, Nadia, we talked about this. They're mm-hmm. difficult. This change effort has all these extraneous factors: racism, sexism, trauma, discrimination. So, there's an added layer of complexity in taking on this type of organizational or cultural change, right? So. I think it's really helpful to have someone who's seen it and done it and, and has some perspective. I would take a two-pronged attack for myself personally. I would have a coach focused on internal personal growth around DEI. And we've had folks on the show that focus on that. So Tara Robinson is, is one that comes to mind. Um, and then I would also engage a strategic partner. So with a preference toward, again, self-serving, someone who can pro- provide an assessment of the current state using data, evidence-driven approaches and, you know, help develop a very thoughtful and targeted way forward to take real actions that can start to drive improvements. Uh, so that's, that would be my, my two-pronged attack. And, you know, obviously I know that there's, um, there, there are limitations sometimes with, in terms of funds and hiring people, but sure. that's, that, that to me would be the best approach. Um, what are your thoughts, Nadia? Rob, I love that. I appreciate the two-prong approach because this this first aspect of the personal growth is so incredibly important. Um, and so I really appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah, and and absolutely the second approach of like kind of someone who can support you through the strategic efforts. Um, you know, if you if you don't know where you currently are and how you can set goals and you know figure out where you're going, you know. I think if you don't know where in your practices, your policies and your decision-making there's bias that shows Mm -hmm. up, if you can't figure that out, um, then how can you problem solve for it? And so help having someone in that two prong approach, having someone think, help you think through what your pay practices look like, what your management practices look like, your recruiting practices, your retention practices. This is really important. Um, and can help you create your strategy. 
uh, and it's all about dialogue. And then I'm a big believer of go and see and really understanding mm-hmm. where those biases show up. So, um, yeah, really great advice. Appreciate that, Rob. Should we go awesome. to the final question? Uh, yeah, the final DEI question. Uh, the, this is I'm reading from the question where it says, I have been thinking a lot about the spectrum of race and how sometimes we see a person as either uh, black or white and don't pay attention to the other intersectionality in their identities that could influence how they're being perceived or, or seen. Mm. Nadia, what, what, what are your thoughts on uh, when we're talking about intersectionality? What just, yeah. So what do you got? Yeah. So there, you know, there's a spectrum of identities, right? So that includes things like race, gender, socioeconomic status, neurodivergence, religion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We call that intersectionality, right? So like this interconnected nature of Social categorization. Sorry, I'm going to use go technical. It's because I'm writing about this in my dissertation, so it's fresh. <laughs> so th- these aspects, Reach. yeah. So these aspects of our identity they overlap with each other, and so th- this can create systems of discrimination and disadvantages for folks that now are marginalized. Now, mm-hmm. the the worst thing to do as humans is bucket people, but that is what we do. That is our nature as as humans. So based on our experiences, based on our worldviews, we make quick assumptions, quick assessments based on the data points that we have, and we start to categorize people, right, without really asking the person who they are. And so we make grand assumptions because we are trying to analyze data really quickly in our brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And that includes kind of fight or flight as well when we think Mm -hmm. about if we're in really stressful times. And so we make grand assumptions about people, about who they are, where they come from, what they believe in without getting to know them. And so this idea of like this spectrum, I feel for this person who asked this question, I want to dig deeper around like, what are you experiencing and are seeing? Because I I recently have had a conversation with a friend who um, is identifies as Muslim, is white presenting, mm-hmm. comes from the Middle East. And her colleagues want to bucket her as being a person of color. And she does not feel like she is a person of color. She does not identify as a person of color. And so I think having these conversations of saying like, well, what, how do you identify? How do you see yourself in the world? And because what happens is our brains are just like really wanting to categorize people, and bucket them into what we think we know, people that, you know, based off of our experiences and, and interactions with people. Um, and I think that can be really harmful for people. I think that can mm-hmm. be really, it can create a lot of harm. Um, and uh, so, so I, you know, that, those are my thoughts around it. I'd love to understand a little bit more deeply about what the kind of underlying question around it is. Um, but I, we also have a lot of people who've come on the podcast in prior episodes and then also people who are coming on the podcast to talk about the intersectionality of identity. So definitely, um, take a listen to some of those episodes. But Rob, what are your thoughts? I, I feel like I just I, did a lecture. Did I just did I you just got lecture? So excited. <laughs> I did. Yeah, please please tune into the video. We'll have to we'll have to pull some of that because Nadia got really really excited talking about intersectionality. I completely agree. And you know, I just would add that that's why even small companies need to think about finding ways to what I was going to say was collect better demographic characteristic data on employees, obviously with their consent, obviously with careful considerations with regard to their privacy. Yeah. It's just very hard to develop a targeted strategy for improvement in DEI without being able to understand more than just 
race or uh, gender identity right. in terms of who our employees are so we can so we can really target things that we need to do to improve as you were talking and you talked about um going and seeing earlier i was thinking how do you do this in small companies or how do you do this as a manager of the team you you get take time to get to know them and, and really understand the identities right you 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 treat your employees as more than just cogs in a machine you treat them as people right and right. you get to know them you get to know all the different intricacies of their personality and their characteristics and that's how you start to think about folks as more than just their race or their gender identity as well right, right? and that, that can be very useful in thinking about how to to lead an organization absolutely all right nadia Bonus pop culture question oh, coming in. I was yeah. I was I, I had written off the pop culture question. Yeah, you did. I don't I, even have. But then I, I was like, really read it. no, I want to talk about a pop culture question. Okay, All well, right, let so me the, ask it then because I don't. Okay. Have, I didn't really think about it. So <laughs> okay. Um, so we had a listener write in that they're listening to a podcast about Michael Jackson and how to frame his legacy and music with his alleged crime. So they were wrestling with kind of separating the art from the artist. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they also mentioned, they referred to someone like David Chappelle, the comedian who they really find funny, but no can be problematic. So Rob, what are your thoughts? All right. So I only wanted to respond to this because I was thinking about this this past weekend myself. I was like, I was mowing the lawn, you know, the, the <laughs> AirPods in. Yeah. And wait, I really do you have one of the, wait, wait, wait. Do you have a lawnmower that you push or a lawnmower that you sit in? Like no. the, the driving one. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I have to push it. You know, so I get like the headset on, you know, okay. uh, drinking the lemonade. And oh, okay. I wanted to listen to this Kanye West song, right? Had, had it stuck in my head and I want to listen to this Kanye West song. And I was like, I was like, nah, I don't want to give him the quarter of a cent or whatever, you know, whatever he makes off me. The royalty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whatever he makes off me listening to that one song. Yeah. And then you know, I was in the car and I was like, Michael Jackson's like every third song on some of the, some of this question, uh, some of the stations I listen to. And so for some reason he gets a pass, like for based and, you know, we know that there are certain things that he did that we don't, that we can't possibly be okay with. Right. So if I said, Nadia, I'm going to go listen to a Bill Cosby, 1984 HBO uh, <laughs> special started quoting yeah. jokes from Bill Cosby. Yeah. I don't think you'd want to hang around with me. I don't think you'd, I, I know. Just, I mean, you kind of roll your eyes at me, right? You'd be like, this, probably. This I might laugh a little because I laugh at everything, but yeah, I'd probably <laughs> like, be like, like, what is it? Yeah. Damn, Bill Cosby. Like, so for some reason, Michael Jackson gets passed. I don't think he, sh I really don't think he should, to be honest with you. And then with the Dave Chappelle stuff, I thought that he's a comedian and he says sometimes things that we find incendiary. That's different from a criminal act, right? Like, yeah. That's a, that's yeah. like, we don't, agree with him and we can choose to tune things out. So I don't know if he shouldn't necessarily be filtered, but, uh, you know, collectively through an organization or, yeah, or, I think that's or, a or canceled, mm -hmm. but someone of the criminal act, I, I I'm okay with canceling. I, yeah. I, know, what do you think? I think that's a good <laughs> distinction. I, I do. I think that's a great distinction. I also struggle though, then if that's the case, there's a lot of sports players, particularly football players, and I don't know names. So maybe this is a grand assumption, but they, there's a lot of domestic abuse charges or sexual harassment charges with some of these players, and mm -hmm. we still watch football. And so, yeah. you know, it's like it's such a it's such a sensitive and touchy subject. I mean, then you, and if you want to take it to another level, like I, 
I there's people that I know that still go to Chick-fil-A, for example, and call it hateful chicken, but it's really great hateful chicken because of their stance around LGBTQIA rights. So it's 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 hard when you're um, wanting to take a stance against what you believe in and what your kind of values are, but the entertainment or the food or whatever is good and you want to subscribe to it. So I yeah. think that distinction, though, of like crime versus art or creativeness and then the option to like not listen in, I think that's I think that's something that I want to reflect on a little bit more. I'd be curious, like what our listeners, um, what they're yeah. kind of what they do. Maybe that's a question we can pose on our on our LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. Let's 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 uh, let's hear from our listeners uh, on that. So, um, Nadia, thanks. Brilliant stuff. If I don't say so myself, appreciate I all know. your thoughts on some of these DI listener questions. Let's take another quick break and we'll be right back with Raves and Raves. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. Let's wrap up today with, I thought we were doing two raves, but actually, uh, Nadia, you have a rant for us. So we're, we're going to do rant and rave. Okay. Yeah. So I woke up this morning to an article, the University of Houston announced that they are closing their LGBTQ resource center in response to the Texas DNI ban. Mm. Yeah, right. Why? Governor Abbott signed the the bill into law late June. I just feel really sad for those students going on campus this fall with like a lack of support and resources from their university. Um, That's all. Yeah, no, that's bad. That's bad news. No, that's, yeah. that's one thing. That's one thing with not doing the rants for the last few weeks. I haven't kept up on all the <laughs> things to get all really upset. Sad about. news. So, I know. So no, it def- definitely. Uh, yeah, heart goes out to, to those students, and they definitely. Hopefully, they find some some support. And there's right, like we're all trying to figure ways around terrible regulations that have been passed in some of these states, right? So totally, um, uh, definitely. Uh, and so then my. My rave is uh, for my friend Nadia Butt, who again we was featured in a Forbes article this week titled "DEI Fatigue, Resistance or Opportunity: Unpacking the Moment and Navigating the Path Forward." Please go check it out in Forbes from our friend partner Ray. So great job, uh, Nadia! You're all over the place. You're, you're featured in so many things these days. I have a hard time picking it out. So so uh, fun. I know. I I appreciate kind of the the opportunity to use my you know allow me to use my voice. So thank you to like a partner for the Forbes and to um, Cancelta for the opportunity on the podcast that I was on. It's all awesome. good stuff. Right? Yeah. Let's make some change. You know, Rob. That's what we're here for. So, folks, thank you for so much for joining us this week. We are really excited about September and season four. So definitely stay tuned for that. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilion Media. We'd love to hear from you. So please send us your feedback at Inclusive Collective at Refilion.com. You can find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch with us for consulting, please check me out at nasconsultants.com and rob at tacanoconsulting.com. Thanks again. We will see you next week. Be well. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with 
purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.